Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the What's Holding You Back January Writing Challenge edition of the 7am Novelist. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Now this month, we're live talking about everything that might hold a writer back from producing the work they want to write and how they might overcome their roadblocks. Today, we get to hear from two writers at somewhat different stages of their writing careers, Sarah Shukla and Nancy Crochet. Good morning, ladies. Thank you so much for being on the show. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Sarah Shukla is an editor for Cognoscetti, WBUR's Ideas and Opinions page, a graduate of Grub Street's Novel Incubator, and her novel Pink Whales is being published in June of 2024 from Little A. So Sarah is right at the moment of launching. Nancy Crochet already has her book out. You can see it behind her there, Graceland. She's a former humor columnist. Why can't I say that word? It's too much. Uh, whose comic debut novel, Graceland, published in May 2023, it was named a best book of the summer by Parade, Woman's World, and Deep South Magazines, which is incredible. Okay, everybody, uh, we're going to get right into our listeners' questions. I have uh, two today, and they're both in audio format. Uh, I will still take questions from folks if you want to submit them. So I can take them in audio format. I can take them in written format as well. I actually prefer the audio format a little better, um, but uh, do whatever you want to do and um, and send them to me at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Uh, the more specifics, the better that you can give us. Okay. So again, I'm going to play both of these back to back. Uh, we have one from John and we have one from Judith and they are, they kind of they might cross some similar things when we talk about them and Judas in particular she's going to ask and talk about finishing simply finishing a book which might also cross over some of what we were talking about yesterday in terms of um uh, I think it was Talia being were unable to submit her work um so here we go here is John's Hello, my name is John Baum from Atlanta, Georgia, and here's my question. Here's what's holding me back, rather. I find that when I get into writing a novel, it's going great, it's going great, it's going great, at least I think it is, and then all of a sudden, I get bored. Um, I don't know if it's confidence, I don't know if I lose faith in the story, but for some reason, it's happened several times, I get to a point where I just don't seem to be interested in the story anymore, and I'll try to write around it, and I can't seem to, and then I just go back to the short stories I've been working on. So I guess that's my, uh, that's my question, is how to get past that. Those middle pages are always seem to hold me back. Thanks so much for doing this. Great. Okay. And so if you also, I think this is a really common problem that people suffer, um, trying to get past those middle pages and getting bored by a project. If you have similar issues, you can comment on it in the chat. You can even offer, I'm happy to hear you offer your own two cents in the chat as well. Um, okay. And then we also have Judith. Okay. So Hello, everyone. What I am struggling with, my name is Judith Rogers, and what holds me back is finishing, which is tied to my perfectionism. And that gets in the way of letting something be imperfect, because everything is imperfect, and letting its imperfect self stand on its own for what it is, and not spending time revising it endlessly, which I have done, 
I've gotten better with with this over the years by doing writing sprints and sitting for hours just getting out words. But it is still very difficult for me to be okay with a paragraph, a page, a chapter, a novel, and declare it finished. Finishing also means starting the next thing and stepping outside of my cocoon and that shelters me from the slings and arrows of the world out there. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, even finishing something and then going on to the next project. I know um, I, I, I did a lot of research uh, into William Faulkner when I was in graduate school, and he would actually, every time he finished a project, he would go on such a deep drinking bender that he would black out for several days. That's one way. <laughs> That's one way to do it. That's I kind of like that. He would find himself like in a completely different house in a completely different town. <laughs> um, he so dreaded finishing. And I think for him, he talked about, you know, being at that, that end of the world that he was creating. And it's kind of a small death. Mm -hmm. um, and then having to face the prospect of starting again. <laughs> so yeah, one one trick you can do is to drink yourself into a blackout. In the end, I don't know if that totally works for everybody. Uh, Nancy, okay, have you faced any of these problems in terms of boredom in the middle and or just getting a, a book finished? What do you think? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think the middle is such a problem for writers and novelists in, in general, right? Because um, so even published books, I think we've all read them where they start out when they have a good head of steam and then they sort of lose focus in the middle or they, they lose the momentum that they, they start with. And, um, and they're published. You know, yeah, pardon? And they're published. And they're and they're published. Yeah. So I mean, I, I do think, um, you know, to me, and, and I'm sure I didn't make this up, it's probably something, you know, you you taught me, uh, Michelle, but I think uh one thing that can really help is to have some kind of uh turning point in the middle of a book. So you're going along with the the rising action and then it, and then you have some twist that just sort of spins it um in a in another direction so the you know the the quest is still the same but something has happened to turn the the circumstances and i mean i always think of like you know the wizard of oz if you know dorothy just kept going on and adding new friends and trying to get to the wonderful wizard until that was the end and she got it wouldn't be a very interesting story after after the cowardly lion right it's like we get the pattern okay I, you know i'm not really interested anymore but, you know, instead, all of a sudden we have this twist where the wizard turns out to be this incredible, you know, overbearing dick and uh, wants to, you know, it sends her off to, you know, find the, the broom of her, you know, her worst uh, nightmare, you know, the Wicked Witch. And um, so, you know, that kind of a, a turn turn of action. And, and I did actually face that problem in, in Graceland, or at least it was um, something that I was aware of and that there you know, there is this this road trip um, where the, the characters are all going towards a certain goal. And then at a certain point, they they get to Memphis, you know, which is where they're aiming to go. But then there's something that happens that turns uh, all the assumptions that they have come with on its head. So they're all still 
moving toward that goal, but things that we've assumed from the beginning have changed. And I, I think that kind of shift can really um, heighten a reader's interest and and hopefully keep a, a writer's interest as, as well. So my two yeah, cents. Yeah, if you, if you, if you're not, if you're not constantly discovering in the process, if you're not constantly even surprising yourself in the process of writing a book, you're going to get bored. And part of the problem might be that you've planned everything out ahead and that some writers do do that, but for some writers that'll just kill the book for you. Um, Nancy, so how far into the process did you discover that midpoint turning point? Um, or did you always have it all along? Did you have no, a feeling, I oh, I need to do something here? I don't think I had it all along, but I do think it, it was one of those things that emerged in uh, in revision just as you're trying to sort of, you know, amp up the, the stakes and the interest in the story. I mean, I'm trying, I think it might have appeared somewhere, uh, you know, actually during the year that I spent in, in your novel incubator program where... Um, uh, I, you know, I can't remember exactly what, when the light went off, but it was like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. that will uh, complicate things in a, in a really interesting way. And that's what we want to always do is complicate things, right? Make it harder for... Complicate it, yeah. <clears throat> uh, continuing to put um, that, turn the, the, the dial up and putting the pressure on characters. Yeah. And it probably made you a lot more excited about it too, <laughs> as you were working. It, it did. And that's what, that's what hit me when I was listening to, you know, John talk about the problem, as you say, it may well be that, um, uh, you know, I've heard this and I may be falling prey to it myself that you, if you, if you overplot beforehand, you, you get bored when you're writing it because you just don't have anything to discover and to learn that certainly was not my problem with my my first novel. I did not. Uh, it was definitely a pants pantser experience, not a plotter experience. But um, yeah. uh, you know, that's another another um, problem if you plot too carefully. I think. Sarah, before. how about you? My my answer is so similar. Um, I think the midpoint. I, so I became obsessed with the midpoint um, as I was writing this. And I think it was during the incubator year two. And I was thinking, how did I find the midpoint then? And I think it was near my ending. Like, I think my draft, something that big that happened toward the ending of my original draft, um, one of the original drafts, it's all a blur and a mess. But um, I moved out to the middle. And then once I did that, um, it just inserted more action and more tension and more stakes to that middle part. So I think sometimes we the middle gets squishy and amorphous and we're like, we just have to get through it to get to this big thing at the end. But actually the big thing at the end should happen more in the middle. And then they have to come down from that or spiral from that or whatever. Um, so I would watch a lot of movies and TV when I was obsessing about the midpoint, kind of when I learned about it, I was like, Oh, it's a point in every story. And I can, so now I can find it. Now my husband gets annoyed when we watch movies. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's all going to change now. And he's like, <laughs> movie. Um, but so that helped because I remember then I was like, well, now I'm ramping up and there's like tension building towards this point. And that gave me sort of building blocks to say like, okay, well, it has to be like tension is kind of the focus. And then there's a release of that tension sort of in the midpoint, but then it's like not what the character actually wanted. It's a mistake. And so then 
yeah, it shifts, like Nancy was saying, it shifts the focus or it shifts sort of the inner what's happening in their own heads and their motivation. So then it's almost like a different novel. Like it's not, but you're writing it in a different way or thinking about things in a different way. And I think that keeps it fresh for you and, and it changes hopefully for the reader as well. And then I broke it up into chunks too. So as I figured out sort of the midpoint and beats and the different ways to build toward it, it helped me to visualize it. Like I switched to Scrivener as I was writing this, um, which I hadn't used before. So instead of having this big Word document that I was like, you know, always paging through and like it was harder to visualize it, it helped me to say, okay, like I'm going to put chapters in 10 pages each. And not, I didn't stick to that. But for a while I was like, just trying to like, chunk things out, I guess, so that um, it just felt more manageable in these pieces. And I could also say, well, this chapter leads to this chapter, leads to this chapter, and I could just visualize it better instead of it feeling like a jumble of words, I guess, and um, a jumble never of see manuscript. Yeah, that you're yeah. facing all at once. Yeah. So some things that you guys talked about, Nancy, you talked about breaking the pattern, which I think is very, very important. Um, George Saunders also talks about this and he talks about it. Um, I think if you if you look up George Saunders and you look up um, escalations, you can probably find his essay about this online. So but George Saunders always talks about always be escalating, always be escalating, which really you're you're searching for those turning points. I've oftentimes worked with a lot of writers and yeah, they they're saving something for the end or for the climax. I'm like, oh, I think I think when you guys said this, that might actually be the middle <laughs> because you actually actually are expecting much more change um and and things more consequence that are happening um closer up closer up in the book um and I, I i swear if you allow yourself to kind of have fun with this and force that kind of quick force those turns to happen in your book you're going to enjoy it that that much more mm -hmm. um so he talks about breaking the pattern he discusses again the bartome uh, john bartome's story the school and he says, you can only repeat the pattern so many times. So in the in the short story, The School, uh, Bartomi has, <laughs> I think their gerbil dies and then all their plant plants die. And then a few parents die. And then some of the exchange students die. And then <laughs> so eventually, I mean, it's, it's a comic story. That's why I'm laughing. It's not, otherwise it'd be tragic and not very fun to read. Um, <laughs> like Michelle Hoover's dark stuff, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, uh, eventually he has to break the pattern. The similar is with, you know, music. If you, if you repeat the same tonal run three times, usually you have to break it by the fourth because um, otherwise we simply get tired of it. We simply get bored of it and you will get bored of it too. So you might want to check out George Saunders' um, essay on escalations Um uh, or George Saunders on uh, John Bartomeu's story, The School, and you can probably find that. Um, I think that, that his is very useful. Um, and again, that that middle point is so, so important. I know Annie Hartnett talks a lot about the middle point. Um, in her most recent book, she actually introduces an owl into the book at the middle <laughs> middle of the book, which which just the owl in this kind of family drama causes so much chaos in the book. Um, that it it upsets everything as it's been going along so far. So you're introducing, adding a component of chaos um, is perfect for a midpoint to upset, you know, because the problem is once we've got the story going, once we've, we're past that kind of 
inciting incident and the point of attack that launches us into the early part of the book, you're going to have to keep inciting us and inciting us and inciting us because otherwise you are going to, it is going to fall apart. It is going to sag. Um, so introducing um, uh, a chaotic element or any, any sort of element um, that will change everything. And oftentimes you can find it early, early on in the book, as you've been writing, like, oh, it's right here. They talk about this or, or, oh, I can, I can take this element that I, that's already in the book and I can use it and actually make it happen instead of it just being a side thing. Mm -hmm. um, writers talk about this being the middle point being a false victory or false defeat, um, which is very, very useful to you. Uh, I always talk about the false victory in terms of um, the story Hansel and Gretel. If Hansel and Gretel just continued to wander aimlessly in the woods, <laughs> looking for food and fighting off the birds, there would be no story. Uh, they have to have that candy house show up. And that candy house is absolutely everything that they have been wishing for all along. It is actually, they're, they're starving, they're hungry. So it, it becomes the encapsulation of all of their desires to such an extreme that we know, uh-oh, this is a little too good. This is a little too much. And we know that the witch is gonna be looking out you know, from behind the door and has planted this candy house. Um, so that kind of false victory um, can be really helpful. I think that's used a little bit more than the false defeat in books. Um, but that can be helpful. Another thing I heard from a writer, he talked about, um, he said, the way I, I, the way I think about plotting is to make sure I have three disasters in my book. One at the 20, uh, 25% point, one at the 50% point, and one at the 75% point. And I thought, oh, that's kind of oversimplifying things. That's kind of weird. And then I realized how brilliant it was because it actually forces you to make things happen. So what are those disasters? And do you have three of them? They might kind of repeat and echo each other as they escalate and build on each other. I think that would help you escalate. Mm. Um, I'm also thinking of something like, um, you know, like books that, that, uh, it's not disastrous, but it's just a change in perspective in the middle, like Lauren Groff's um, Fates and yeah. Furies, you know, where you've you've gotten in the first part of the book, his story, and then um, all of a sudden it switches and you get her story and it is just completely mind-blowing, uh, mind-blowingly different. Yes, yes, yes. Perfect. Um, change point of view. Uh, introduce it, an entirely new element. Uh, Matt Bell, I know in his um, book, Refuse to be Done, talks also about, you know, bringing in other forms of narrative that might kind of spark something different and new, like letters, a journal, um, something that, that even it just takes you away from the original narrative form. It can be a kind of a form of sense of play. Um, mm -hmm. That can be a lot of fun too. Um, I think it can even just be for drafting, like something that I found oh, helpful. Absolutely. Just introducing that stuff without the pressure to keep it, you know, but to like put it in there, change the form, play around with it as you're writing it. And then it just keeps you interested and you're just inevitably going to go over it so many more times. But I don't know, it can keep things fresh. And like that element that you add in um, a letter or an email or something may or may not stay in, but it could lead you to like what you're ultimately going to, what is ultimately going to work. But anything that keeps you interested, I think that can keep you invested. 
Yeah. And lots of times it's something that you're like, oh, I can't do that. That's too loud or too much. Mm -hmm. but sometimes we kind of resist that stuff, but sometimes it's the exact thing that you actually need to do, try to do it. Um, in my second book, I introduced a body came into, you know, <laughs> a body was found. I was like, ooh, what do I do with this? And then I started writing around it and kind of playing with it. So that was fun. Um, Cassandra in the chat says, I have slogged quickly through a boring spot and moved to the next scene where I want to know what will happen. That's good. So you're trying to discover you're hungry to know. You want to know what would happen. So hopefully your reader does as well. Uh, meanwhile, I take some pleasure in knowing that one day I will gleefully, quote, drown that baby that needs to go. <laughs> good, good. Um, and then uh, actually, I would. do you guys know what she means with drown the baby? Or was she talking about killing her darlings? Another form of drowning the baby? Yeah. Cassandra, I think I thought she <laughs> meant the boring spot. <laughs> uh, right, right, right. spot unless it's a, a dark novel. Yes, the darling, kill the darling, she says. Um, and then Patricia says, maybe also if you're stuck in the middle, know where you're going right at the end, it might give you the point to work toward and reveal some possible midpoint action to get you there. Yeah. Um, Melanie recommends uh, mixing things up. Dan McDormand's West Heart Kill introduces a play, police interviews from beyond, point of view shifts, and critical essays on the detective genre. Yes, there's a lot of books that do this now. I've been um, reading North Woods by Janu Daniel, oh shoot, Mason, I think it is named, not Mick Mason, Mason. And he is introducing a lot of um, kind of different forms of narrative. Um, to he has poems, he has photographs, he has, you know, all sorts of things. They, you know, in the end, these things might not make it in the book, but it can be fun to kind of play with it. Um, okay, in terms of finishing, Nancy, have you had this issue? Have you faced this on any of the things that you've been working on? Um, absolutely, yes. And I think, um, you know, from the perspective of the person, uh, Judith, who was asking the question, I, I think she's aware of her perfectionism. For me, um, I, I think it was more other people, you know, kind of commenting to me, I, don't you just think you should be done? Don't you? And I was always, you know, <laughs> don't you think you've revised this enough, Nancy? And, um, you know, truthfully, uh, my answer was, I'll, I'll, I'll know when I'm done. You know, I'm, I, I'm not there yet, but I'll be. And I don't think that was perfectionism. I think that was because I don't think I'm a absolute perfectionism. It's, it was just having a certain standard. And this is that was where I was working toward. But I think, you know, what what Judith was talking about is maybe uh, her. It's bothering her more than more than other people. And it, it's it's an interesting psychological thing because it's it's almost as if um uh, I think she says at the end, it, she's aware that if she finishes, then she has to move on. So it's kind of a, I'm sort of curious, is is it really uh, that she can't let go of perfecting things? Or is it that she just is a little nervous about moving on to the next thing? Because that means either she has to let it go or she has to submit it someplace and, and risk rejection. Um, so right. interesting. And I, um, I'm not, you know, 
I'm not sure which is the main problem. So I'll let Sarah comment on that. Go ahead, Sarah. <laughs> Sarah, what do you think? Hi, Unity. <laughs> <laughs> Over to you, Sarah. <laughs> I mean, what, what occurred to me is I, I think, so I'm in the middle of, I'm almost publishing, right? So I published in six months. And so we're on like the final little bits and pieces. And what's been fascinating to me is how many people get their hands on it and how, you know, I was finished in one way with this novel, um, but I wasn't like, oh, it's done. But I, I thought of finishing as like, when can someone else help me, I guess? So I think that can be at so many stages, like drafting, peer review, giving it to friends, um, submitting to agents, whatever, for stories as well, for essays. I mean, I'm an editor, we see essays, I, I look at essays every day. Um, I think at some point you're just ready for someone else to get their hands in it with you and, and help you. Um, and nothing's ever sort of finished or done on your own. There's always something more. And yeah. so I've had like my editor, I had two editors work on it together. I had, then there's like the proofreader or the copy editor, the proofreader, different proofreaders. I don't know. There's been so many people. Um, and it's been kind of incredible to see it pass through different hands and say like, well, this is something I did, but it's also like very much a team effort. And it just, that helps it be better and better. And um, and I think that's true for anything. Like I'm an editor of essays and, you know, sometimes I don't do anything and sometimes I work a lot with a writer. And I think it's just, I think George, I feel like George Saunders said this one time that essays uh, or anything that you write, it's like the doctor and the, or the patient and the surgeon or something, like you both want the same outcome. I'm sure he said it so much better. I can never remember exactly how he said it, but I remember thinking like, oh yeah, you both want to like walk off the operating table and like be really functional. You're both there for <laughs> or that's a pretty bad doctor. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. So you want a good doctor. So anyway, so I think sometimes if you think of it as not finishing, just like getting it to a stage where someone else can, can be in it with you, um, that can be helpful. Or yeah, it's interesting um, because you do come from that editing side as well. Um, have you worked with any authors that have had trouble making their deadlines that you've had to kind of help them through that? Or is there anything that you might say to people who are facing that kind of finishing moment and they're like, oh my God, now people might actually see it now and 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 what's going to happen now? Um, have you had to have you had to deal with any of that in your editing experience? No, I mean, not so much for cog for essays, because I'll, you know, writers our writers are just incredible and wonderful and we love them. But uh, no, um, I'm sure if there's a crisis of confidence, it just doesn't come maybe over to me. But um, I think that maybe because we, let's see, I didn't have this answer in my head. Um, I have to finish this answer now. I think because we come at it with a lot of warmth and connection. And I've found that from the editors I've worked with too. So maybe that, so once we get into an edit and we edit some pretty personal essays, mm -hmm. and, but we approach it not from a standpoint of just, here's how you best write it. It's it's a lot of connection. It's a lot of like, how can we put you in this essay? How can we make sure everybody's comfortable? Um, and I think that's true of the best editors. So it's not like turning your work over and then having to meet a deadline. It's really just like collaborating and everybody wants you to walk off the operating table, I guess the same, going back to the same metaphor. So I think- yeah, with deadlines, um, we end up just meeting and we turn our things around pretty quickly sometimes too. But I think it's just a collaboration. And I think that's important to remember that like somebody's there to help you. So it's not like you're just on your own to meet a deadline or to get past your um, 
I don't know, a crisis of confidence or insecurity or anything. It just, somebody's there to guide you, I guess. Yeah. And so we give enough guidance to make the SAB the best version of itself that it can be. And I think that's the same with stories or books when you have a good partner working with you and you have to sort of keep that faith that, that, that person, um, anyone like, right. Like a critique partner, um, your friends, anybody who reads your stuff that they're there wanting the best outcome for you. So you just kind of have to like have some faith and, um, what's the word? I don't know. Let go a little bit, I guess, just trust yeah. in the process. And I think it, that gets easier the more and more you, you do it. Um, yeah. So I know I I'm a I, I'm a perfectionist and I was like oh gosh I can never do this podcast or webinar because I always want everything to be perfect and I'd want and so what I decided to do it was do it as god awful early in the morning as I could so that I wouldn't have time to be a perfectionist and I was going to do so many episodes that I wouldn't have time to make them perfect mm-hmm. um, because the the point was just supposed to be the substance of the thing and not how shiny and how shiny it looked. Um, I love Cassandra in the, in the, uh, chat also in terms of finishing, she said, I'd ask the characters what they think. Are we done? <laughs> Which is, I think it's interesting. I like that. I like that a lot. And then Carla says, perfectionism in me manifests in a paralyzing, paralyzing fear of being wrong in front of other people or looking less than brilliant. Carla's actually pretty brilliant by the way, because I know her, it holds me back in a bunch of different ways. For writing, it makes me afraid to show my work for feedback at all, and with the novel, afraid to call it done, by which I mean start querying, because I fear its weakness make will make me look foolish. It isn't rational. I envy people who are braver about putting themselves out there. Um, it's I think it's entirely rational. I mean, the 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 issue is we are doing this all in our private little you know rooms where no one sees what we're doing, and when you put it out there, then people can actually comment on it. Great. Yeah. Uh, Nancy, when your book came out, how was that feeling? Oh, that, that people were commenting on it? People, if I, I really, when my books came out, I'm like, oh my God, people are actually reading it now and can think free thoughts about it that I won't yes. even know. Yes, I remember you saying, and there is that moment for every novelist where you think, oh my God, somebody is actually going to read this. But um, I do feel like all the workshopping we did, um, I did with the book, both in the novel incubator and with friends reading does help. And I, I mean, I understand what Carla is saying here. Um, and I have friends who feel that way. And actually, it's interesting. I mean, probably the more brilliant they are, the more they feel that way because they've been used to a lot of success and a lot of perfectionism. And yeah. um to just start workshopping it and to see other that other people's stuff is not, per, you know, uh, what other people write is not perfect either. And, you know, just uh, put yourself out there in a, in a small way. And I think that gives you confidence. There are so many people out there who are succeeding because they're, they're just doing it. And, and honestly, you know, probably doing it less well than somebody who's a perfectionist than, than Carla, but darn it, they're, they're sending it off to editors and they're getting it published. And um, it, it's, um, it's, uh, don't be afraid of workshopping. I think it actually gives you confidence in the end and it, and it improves the piece, of course, that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So to, the more, so basically putting yourself on that line again and again and again um, to kind of get used to it. I mean, that the same happens when you you start doing readings in order to produce your, or in order to sell your book or, or doing podcasts, or whatever. The more you do it, 
I mean, I would remember that I would just kind of, I would just kind of show up at the bookstore and be like, okay, here we go. And then one of the people that I was reading with had been preparing for the entire week. And I was like, what, what have you been preparing for? So, you know, there, there is also kind of the benefit of, of just showing up and, and seeing, seeing what happens. Um, 90% uh, but I, go, go ahead. That 90% of success is showing up. So 90% of success is showing up and yes. And then knowing too, finding your readers that, you know, are going to be not actually, hopefully you won't have readers that are just going to be nice to you because hopefully, you know, that they are actually going to, to take you, um, to take your work seriously enough to, to comment on it and really, you know, find the things that are, are problematic with it. Um, it might really bother you at first, something that someone says, but a month, a week down the line, a month down the line, a year down the line, um, I've had I've had commentary that really threw me. And then actually a year down the line, I was like, oh my God, they were entirely right. Um, so you can use that. But then also thinking when you're looking at, thinking about editors or submitting stuff, you know, these, these are just regular people. They're not big, you know, scary people. Sarah, Sarah's not, you know, a big scary person. <laughs> um, and then Elaine in the chat also says, my beta readers have had such different responses. It cushions the pain when they all agree. Yeah, that can be embarrassing, but most for the most part, um, they will have different responses. And really, embarrassment is not going to kill you. Right? I mean, it's not fun. Um, but it's not going to kill you. So, okay, we're going to have to wrap it up. I want to thank all, both of you for uh, coming here and helping us out and for thanking all of our listeners. You can find our full schedule on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Subscribe there for updates. You can also find our full range of podcast episodes on that page, including episodes from our past two writing challenges, as well as any of, of on your any of your favorite podcast platforms and if you like what we're doing please follow rate and review our podcast so that we can reach other listeners now sarah and nancy do you have any final words about breaking through your writing obstacles um i'm doing some accountability workshops right now to get keep my butt in the chair and i think that is um that is the way i'm working through my current obstacle which is starting my second novel yeah we are actually later, we're going to have an episode talking about starting a second book because that has its own issues. I will and be sure to tune in. <laughs> yes, yes. And Nancy has not drunk her, drunken herself into an oblivion. But I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Yeah, Nancy. <laughs> it sounds like it's worth a try. At least 7 a.m. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's at 7 a.m. Sarah, how about you? I, I think just keep putting yourselves in rooms with people that want to, that make you want to keep going. That's as I'm thinking about where I am now, that's just what I kept doing for years is like, I took a class or I went to an author talk or I had coffee with a friend who's a writer or whatever, but I just, just keep yourself around people that make you want to not give up and then you'll keep going and eventually you'll have something and you just keep doing that over and over again. Excellent. Okay. Thank you both so much for your time and energy. Look for their books. We've got Graceland by Nancy Crochet. And Sarah, your book again comes out in June. June. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. It's called Pink Whales. So she's going to be facing some launch fears, but we're going to help her out with that as well. Uh, thank you all. And I hope you have a wonderful writing day.